The Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show, episode number 33. Welcome to the show where we help you make smart nutrition simple so that you can fuel your best with less. Less time, less money, and less stress. I'm Ben Brown, co-founder and CEO of BSL Nutrition, and I'm excited to have you join me on this journey. Each week, I'll be sharing expert advice from leaders in the field of nutrition, fitness, lifestyle, and supplementation who actually practice what they preach and are also on a mission to positively impact as many people as possible in a meaningful way. I want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to join me, and if you feel like there's anything in this episode that really resonates with you or you feel could positively impact someone you care about, then please share this with them, subscribe, and leave a positive rating and review. Today's episode is brought to you by my nutrition company, BSL Nutrition, and our all-in-one training drink called Complete Essentials. When you use the Complete Essentials, you'll no longer need pre, during, and post-workout supplements. You can save time, money, and energy, and get all the beneficial nutrients you need in one delicious, easy-to-mix drink. Make sure you guys stay tuned after the show where I'll share a nice little discount for all of our listeners on your first product purchase. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to episode number 33 of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. I am your host, Ben Brown, co-founder and CEO of BSL Nutrition. Today, our guest is Dr. Stephen Cabral, a board-certified naturopathic doctor and founder of the Cabral Wellness Institute and StephenCabral.com. At 17 years old, Stephen Cabral was diagnosed with a life-altering illness and given no hope for recovery. Every day, he suffered endlessly for many years, and it was only after Stephen traveled all over the world and discovered how to combine ancient Ayurvedic healing practices with state-of-the-art naturopathic and functional medicine did he understand how to fully rebalance the body and re-energize it with life. Today, in Dr. Cabral's online and Boston practice, where he and his team have completed over 250,000 client appointments, he uses functional medicine lab testing and personalized wellness plans to help people rebalance their mind, body, and recover from autoimmune, thyroid, fatigue, hormone weight gain, digestive, childhood, mood, skin, and dozens of other hard-to-treat health conditions. Ultimately, his mission is to help people understand that there's always a reason why you have not achieved your ideal wellness or weight loss goals and that you can and will get well again. Wonderful message from Dr. Stephen Cabral in this episode. We talk about the origin of dis-ease, what he views as the perfect diet, um, we talk about detoxification, different lab testing methodology, and really how his journey from, you know, being given no hope of getting better to thriving uh, physical health and to having a thriving medical practice, how that um, has influenced his, uh, his message of hope and nutrition and health and wellness for hundreds of thousands of people over the years. I think you're going to Enjoy this episode. Without a further ado, Dr. Stephen Cabral. Dr. Stephen Cabral, how are you, my man? I'm doing well. How are you? Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you very much for being here. I'm, I'm really, really excited to have you on the show. Um, Dr. Stephen Cabral, I'd love to know more about your background in functional medicine. You know, I've heard through your popular podcast that you've talked a lot about um, you know, a need to get yourself healthy uh, and how that process got you into functional medicine. Um, what did that journey look like for you? 
Well, for me, it started as a necessity. So I think a lot of people get into the health field because they are not well themselves. And that was my case. When I was 17, I got extremely sick and, you know, really so sick that there was no doctor, conventional medicine-based doctor in Boston. And of course, we have some of the best schools in the world, best medical schools. And, you know, I consider myself like Humpty Dumpty, like literally none of the king's men could put me back together. I went to the best of the best, specialist after specialist, till finally ended up seeing the chief of staff at Mass General Hospital, granted one of the one or number two best hospitals in the United States. And they said to me, they said, we would love to be able to help you, but your blood work does not show anything that we can do. So what I found out at that point was that there was no hope for me based on conventional medicine. After that, this is, keep in mind, this is in the late 90s. So we're trying to not, we don't have the internet. We're trying to figure out how do you get well when no doctors are able to help you. So this led me down an interesting path. A couple years later, uh, found out about functional medicine. Once I went to a functional medicine-based doctor, all of these things started to make sense meaning that I was later diagnosed with Addison's disease, with rheumatoid arthritis, with type 2 diabetes, with something called myelagic encephalomyelitis, where essentially, literally, if I walked up like too many stairs one day, I would get flu-like symptoms the next day. I mean, really debilitating things. It messed with my mind. It messed with my, my whole uh, body image, everything. But what I learned through that was that there's really hope for everyone. I've recovered from autoimmune-based issues, from Addison's disease, which is the inability to produce cortisol. And I realized that if I was able to do it, and I'm no one special, that anyone could do this if they figured out how. Yeah, that's amazing. What were some of the symptoms that you were experiencing throughout all those years of, of trials and tribulations with trying to get healthy? So honestly, you know, I mean, I really think back and it's been 20 plus years now. And when I think back, it's almost like it was yesterday. I literally could not walk up six stairs without my legs starting to burn and my heart rate starting to get to like legitimately 140, 150 beats per minute. And I know there's a lot of coaches and a lot of personal trainers and, and a lot of great uh, community members that listen to your podcast. And so you can kind of understand like that doesn't make any sense. That's doing a full interview. How do you walk upstairs as someone who's supposedly in good shape, who did three sports in high school, you know, all these things uh, be that dysfunctional. And the issue was that I took 3000 capsules of amoxicillin over the last three years before that, from ages 14 to 17, I was taking two times a day amoxicillin for some mild skin issues. And a lot of people go through this. But what happens was 80% of your immune system is located in your gut. And when you wipe out that much good bacteria and you allow that much bad bacteria to overgrow, H. pylori, uh, parasites, candida, my immune system went haywire. And it no longer responded to amoxicillin, and I was done. I was toast. So at that point, my, my adrenal glands were shot. My, uh, it's called the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis couldn't function properly. I couldn't produce norepinephrine, so I had no get up and go. Honestly, I was, I was anxious. I was depressed. I was overwhelmed. It was a very, very dark time, and it did not end in six months. There was no happy ending to that within three years, four years, five years. It took me way too long to get better. But the truth is that if I did not go through that, I would not have read the thousands of books and struggled and taken a thousand plus nutritional supplements or studied all over the world. And so I'm grateful 
actually that I went through that. And it's become my life's work. I never planned on that growing up as a kid in Medford, Massachusetts, mm. you know, that I would go out and I would become a naturopathic doctor. I don't think that was even heard of uh, back then. But, you know, it's, I'm, I'm fortunate. I really feel grateful that I did go through it and, and, I, and I had to figure it out. And that was the great thing about it. Yeah, it's funny how so many of our journeys start with a level of pain that causes us to start to reach out and, and try and understand what's going on with us and try and find the solutions. And those once we do find those solutions, it's something that we feel the need to share with everyone else. So, so throughout your journey of finding those solutions that took you internationally through your studies, what did, what did that look like? What did you learn? Where were you and what did you learn? So I started uh, with some local functional medicine practitioners in my area, and uh, they, were, they were fantastic. They didn't have the answers, but they showed me some of the reasons why I might have gotten here, okay? I was eating dairy. I was basically, I was trying to do a lot of natural bodybuilding, so I was doing a lot of whey protein. And again, I'm not talking down on whey protein, but if you have a sensitivity to dairy, whey protein is not helpful. It causes inflammation in the gut. Uh, yeah. And so a lot of people, they find that out the hard way. You know, they find it out through bloating and they can't get down that last 5% body fat and all of those things. But you know, for me, it was a health issue. I was, I was literally creating inflammation every time I ate these foods. And so that was, I figured out food sensitivities. I started to run saliva based, uh, based lab tests to figure out my cortisol based function. And then I could take it to my PCP. And I said, Hey, I'm not producing any cortisol here. Is that a problem? And he's like, Oh, well, we probably should have tested this. So then they did an ACTH stim test and actually found out that I had Addison's disease. Mm -hmm. So they put me on pharmaceutical drugs like Cortef and the other things to raise my blood pressure, which again helped, but I had to ask myself, okay, I'm an 18, 19, 20 year old kid. Am I going to do this the rest of my life? That was my question. And that's my question to everybody. If you're on cholesterol medication, if you're on blood pressure medication, you have Hashimoto's, what's the end goal? Is the end goal to literally stay medicated the rest of your life? To me, that didn't make sense. So I sought out additional mentors. And one of my mentors, um, Dr. Margaret Smith-Pete, she I, literally, I can remember, I was, I was like 20 years old, took the bus to Maine, met up with her, and she opened my eyes to Ayurvedic medicine and advanced functional medicine using genetic lab testing as well. I, find out, I found out genetic-based, methylation-based issues I had, detoxification issues. I ran something called the organic acids test to look at my gut function. Um, she then opened my eyes to um, understanding body types. And she said to me, she said, you've read 2,000, 3,000 books, whatever it was. Why have you not gone back to school to get your degree? And at that point, I really just needed someone to say, you should do this. I wasn't getting the support at home. I wasn't getting into relationships. It was just, it's very foreign. You grow up in a family where, you know, there's this high, you know, educational um, nostalgia, whatever you want to call it. And she said, you should do this. And it was like this, I mean, I remember like literally welling up when she said that. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, someone believes in me. They believe maybe I'm looking at this in a, in a way that might be able to help people. So that's when I got on my journey to um, go back to school and my internships were actually overseas in um, India and Sri Lanka and China and the Netherlands and uh, in the US. And the reason why I did that, sorry, I know that I'm being long-winded, but when I, I love recalling these stories because remember, like the takeaway is always that you can honestly do anything you want with your life. And she was the one who gave me the hope for that. She gave me the hope to get well. I wasn't going to get well overnight. And she got me, gave me the hope that I could do something more with my life, that this didn't have to be the end. And so being the skeptic I am, I said, I want to figure out what really works. And so what I did was I studied all over the world to see what really worked. 
And so what were some of the takeaways from experiencing the cultures abroad, multiple different cultures that influenced the way you uh, coach people, the way you consult with clients and practice medicine and nutrition coaching today? So for me, it was, it was honestly life-changing. I, was, I remember my very first um, internship or residency, and I went to Sri Lanka. I mean, don't even ask me how I ended up in Sri Lanka. It's just sometimes these things happen in life and, and you just, you go with them and they become amazing experiences uh, that you look back on that you know it shaped your life. So one part of it is getting to see different cultures for the first time in my life and really understanding that people are very, very different. But at the end of the day, we all have these core values. We all deal with all different stresses in our life. Sometimes it's financial. Sometimes when I was in Sri Lanka, it's literally having a roof over your head. You know, all different types of stresses. So we know we're all dealing with stress in life. The other thing was understanding through all of these different internships that there was no one way to heal everyone, that every form of medicine works, even conventional medicine. I know I give conventional medicine a hard time, but not when it comes to acute-based care. If you're having a heart attack, if you just have, you have a staph infection, you're 80 years old with bilateral pneumonia, you should go to the emergency room and get acute care. And I'm so thankful we have that. But if you're dealing with a chronic disease, meaning like you've had it for more than six weeks or so, you need to seek out a functional medicine practitioner, a lab test, a blueprint, a plan, whatever it might be to help you figure it out because there is never, it's never going to end. It doesn't go away on its own. You need to figure out what those imbalances are. And the nice thing is with natural health is that if we understand that there is no one form of medicine that works best, but every form of medicine works, it's understanding when to apply, which form of medicine with what person. That's what I learned by studying all over the world was, it was really humbling. Like literally my ego used to be huge and then it got destroyed because I realized I knew nothing. I knew absolutely nothing. And I went to all these places who are supposedly outdated and their Ayurvedic medicine and traditional Chinese medicine is so intricate that you could spend a lifetime studying it. And I don't know if you'd ever master it. So, so what are some of the things? So, so spending time in these other countries now you've been, you've been in practice for how long? About seven years. Okay. So being in practice for years, you said you've worked with, uh, you know, about 250,000 clients through your, your practice. You've developed all kinds of, uh, accumulated all kinds of data. And through all, all of these years, what have you seen that are the biggest influencers on health and, and uh, the prevention of disease? So one of the newest things that we're having to deal with that we've never had to deal with uh, really before, let's say, the 1950s and 1960s, so this is very recent, is we now have over 77,000 man-made chemicals in the environment. These are man-made. These are synthetic chemicals. So you might say, okay, well, yeah, but they allow us to drink from plastic bottles and not having to carry around glass, and we get to use lightweight things like plastic. And I would say I agree with it. I mean, I'm big on technology. I love technology. But here's the problem that all of these things were never taken into account with our genetics and our body's ability to process them, which means never more in history have, has our liver, our kidneys, our brain, or our nervous system had to deal with this onslaught. So people talk about inflammation all the time. And I say, you know what? I agree. You're inflamed. We need to do something about that. However, turmeric isn't going to do it. Neither is Advil. Like, it's just not going to because you're masking symptoms. So, again, do I believe in turmeric or curcumin or all these things? Absolutely. Boswellia, love it. It's a gr- those are great herbs. Those are great roots. Fantastic. However, 
we have to understand that if we do have heavy metals in our body, if we do have toxins in our body and our body and our immune system is constantly fighting against those and our liver is constantly uh, trying to filter all the blood in our body every six minutes, that's going to lead then to eventually systemic breakdown. Remember, disease doesn't happen overnight. It's a slow accumulation of toxins, which also then compounded with our deficiencies leads to disease. So just to make that really straightforward, we become diseased when we are deficient in things like vitamins and minerals and neurotransmitters and amino acids. We, and when we have toxicities where we have too much of things such as environmental chemicals, which are called exogenous chemicals or endogenous chemicals from things like our own bacterial overgrowth that seeps through our gut wall or we have intestinal permeability and we're eating all this protein and the protein literally goes into our bloodstream and then that causes immune-based dysfunction. So I look at toxicity, I look at deficiencies and what I try to do is replace the deficiencies and remove the toxicities and I let the body heal itself. No naturopathic doctor, no true naturopath would ever say they heal a patient. What they do is they put the body in position to heal itself. Yeah, amazing. So how, how have you been able to diagnose and identify the toxic overload that people are experiencing these days? I mean, what sort of lab testing do you do that allows for that? So there's three main ones. There's actually, there's, there's a bunch and I'd love to just share them with your community and they can kind of check them out for themselves. Please do. But the, the main one for environmental chemicals, because, you know, there's a lot of people out there and they just say, oh, none of that's true. Your body is always detoxifying. Right. And I would say, you know what? You're right. Your body is always detoxifying because if it wasn't, you'd be dead. Like that's how it works. However, that doesn't mean you're optimized. It doesn't mean that you don't have cancer causing carcinogens building up in your body because you do. We all do. What we're trying to do is create a state, uh, a state of equilibrium where our body is detoxifying as quick as the toxins are coming in. So you can run something called the uh, GPL tox. That one's by Great Plains. That's a urine-based tox a lab. And we can link these up on the show notes page if you want to so people can yeah, get more sure. data because I just want to run through them. That's for environmental-based chemicals. So people are like, well, I don't think I have any. Okay, if you run a simple urine-based test, you'll see if you have any pesticides in your blood. If you have any, um, and again, your urine is filtered blood, so that's how we look at it. You can look at flame retardants. You can look at brake dust. You can look at plastics. All of these things that you can see if you're high or not. Then you can see for sure. Remember, I always say, don't guess, test. I know I didn't make up that saying, but if you yeah. really want to know, just test. And then the next way is to look at... Um, heavy metals. You can do that with a hair tissue mineral analysis. It's the least invasive way. Love that test. Um, to look at gut bacteria, if you have gut bacterial overgrowth that's spilling out into your blood and, and then into the urine, that would be an organic acids test. That's my favorite test, okay? So my favorite two are the organic acids test and the hair tissue mineral analysis. I always say if you could only run two labs in the world, those would be the two. Now, again, this is mainly for overall function of the body, because the organic acids test will also look at mitochondrial function, neurotransmitters, B vitamins. I mean, it's amazing. And then the last test that you could run would be a stool test. And the stool test would look for things like parasites, uh, ova, it would look for cysts, it would look for H. pylori, um, and all sorts of different like E. coli overgrowth as well. So those are all different toxins. And, and honestly, they're all at-home lab tests. So what mm -hmm. I'm trying to do is take my offline practice online and really just, I don't like the word disrupt, but disrupt the health space so that you don't have to ask your doctor for these. Because first of all, a lot of doctors have no idea what these labs are. Second, health insurance doesn't pay for them because they're subclinical. And third, a lot of doctors just say no because they don't know how to read them. And so they're just not going to look 
you know, like they don't know about it. So they're just going to say no. So I want to give people the opportunity to just do it on their own. That's it. So when, so when you're running these tasks, you get the results back and we identify, okay, that there's certain, certain nutrient deficiencies, there's certain mitochondrial issues, you know, fatty acid metabolism issues, there's uh, um, chemical toxicity. What's the process look like for, for your clients to um, eliminate the deficiencies and, um, you know, go down that road? So if someone is literally purchasing one or two or however many labs they want from our online site, this is exactly what it works. They get it mailed to them. They complete the urine test, hair test, stool test, or saliva-based test at home. They get instructions how to do that. They mail it into the lab. Once those results come back, I actually review everyone's results because if I'm not meeting with everyone individually, I can review 100 labs a week. That's not a problem. End user who took the lab test would get my recommendations uh, by then they speak with my health coach. So my health coach actually does a health coaching call specifically with them. I'll tell you why in a moment. But from there, they get a specific nutrition plan for them. They get customized lifestyle-based recommendations if they have difficulty sleeping, if they have difficulty with digestion, how to improve their, um, their, their strength of digestion, which is one of the most important things because we use nutritional supplements to help rebalance their body. Remember, we're taking out the toxicities that we find and we're, remo- we're replacing the deficiencies, but we only really expect that for about 12 to 16 weeks. We find most people can heal within that time frame because all the red blood cells have turned over at that time, and we're hoping that the new red blood cells are fortified much stronger so then we wean off most of the nutritional supplements after their body's been restored, as we'll call it, just keep some foundational ones in there. And then, um, and then that's it. That's basically it. So then they're going to maintain, they're not going to go back to a healthy or an unhealthy lifestyle. They're going to figure out through lab testing and a coaching call why they got there in the first place. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I love the assessment process. We've talked about that on the show before, the importance of really digging deep and identifying what's going on in the body so that you can you know, undergo the right, um, the right supplements, the uh, eliminating any of the the pathogens and things like that. And so once we've identified those things, they've they've started to uh, alleviate the symptoms. Then we go into the nutrition and lifestyle coaching. So over the last seven years, over uh, two hundred fifty thousand clients uh, later, what are sort of the common nutrition and lifestyle factors? Or let's just start with nutrition. What's the guidance that you put forth with your clients to help them optimize their, their health and well-being? Yeah, so um, and that's why, too, is, and I want to give you an answer, and that's why I always struggle with this specifically, but yeah. it really depends on the person, right? So it's, if you're asking me about someone with um, candida overgrowth and small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, those are two things that a lot of people have that are walking around right now that are literally staying away from foods because they know it causes bloating and gas and all of these things. Well, I'm still. I'm telling you right now, it's still there. You're just stay, you're just staying away from it. You're using a band-aid approach of not eating your favorite yeah. vegetables or foods because you can't digest them. Well, that's because the bacteria has started to overgrow, and it can be good bacteria that's overgrown as well. But you just have too much of it. A lot of times, what happens is a more sterile small intestine now has more of that colon-based bacteria, and that's because hey, maybe you were stressed, and the what's called the ileocecal valve stayed open, and you started to get colon-based bacteria moving up into the small intestine. Well, for those people, we're using nutritional supplements to wipe, of course, natural, to wipe out the yeast and bacteria, while at the same time giving them a nutrition plan that eliminates the foods that would feed the yeast and bacteria. So, for example, 
we would recommend you could still eat some broccoli. You could still eat all, all sorts of great vegetables like carrots and celery, but you'd stay away from more of the Brussels sprouts and the cauliflower because they're a little bit higher in what's called fructans. And because of that, they're not going to be able to um, be digested before they get to the yeast and bacteria. So they'll be fermented. And as they ferment, they're going to cause more of that gas. They're going to cause more of that sugar feeding this type of bacteria. So what we'll do is we'll give someone a protocol that lists all the foods they can eat. And then we'll say, okay, if it's not on this list, then you shouldn't be eating it because it's going to feed this specific bacteria. The same would be someone like with Hashimoto's. Uh, for those, for someone with Hashimoto's, if they haven't done a food sensitivity test, we'll still, I mean, we're going to help everybody. Like that's the whole goal is like, we don't want to just make this an elitist thing. So we're not going to say you need to run every lab test in the world, but we know people with Hashimoto's typically have some type of intestinal permeability. 90% of all autoimmune issues do. And they're also more susceptible to gluten and typically cross-reference sometimes as dairy and casein. So what we're going to do is at least do a 21 day elimination diet of gluten from their, uh, from their body, see if it starts to improve. And then we'll do a reintroduction if they, if they would like to start including that in their diets. So again, I'm, I'm trying to give it as specific as possible, but we try to do as much bioindividuality as possible. Yeah. And that's great. So let's move beyond the uh, clinical aspect of the nutrition coaching and move into more, you know, more popular mainstream nutrition guidelines. And of the time that you've experienced with your hundreds of thousands of clients, what is kind of the things that you keep coming back to that not only you're seeing that from a, from a medical perspective that not only you're seeing that your clients are experiencing optimal health with, uh, but also other people all around the world are experiencing optimal health, especially like what you experienced when you were in China and in those other countries. What are the kind of the foundational principles that we know or that we kind of think about when we should be thinking about good nutrition? Absolutely. That- so what I would say is let's think of like two main foundational things that go across all forms of real natural medicine uh, and also that really work from a clinical perspective. So that's why I think it's great to, you know, have the experience, all of that, but it's so amazing to be able to see how people are doing in practice. So that's why I can really, I try to give, you know, real advice like, okay, yeah, sure. This is what the studies say, but here's what happens in practice. Mm -hmm. And I know you do that yourself, meaning that you can read all the books, but until you actually implement it where people are living real lives, you don't know how it's going to work. And so one thing that I believe every human really needs to do, uh, again, I always call it the 1% rule, meaning 1% of the population is not going to apply to but we talk a lot about intermittent fasting. Okay. It is the fountain of youth. It is the way that your body gets healthy, but we take it too far a lot of times. So here's a healthy way to do it from 7 PM at night to seven in the morning. Don't eat anything. That's it. I mean, that, that would be the easiest way to state it. Now you could say eight to eight, you could say six to six, however you want to do it. But 12 hours, especially overnight, not eating before bed is crucial. And I talked about this on my podcast as well. The body is meant to go to bed with no real digestion going on in the stomach, okay? That is the time between 10 o'clock at night and 2 in the morning for overall detoxification and rejuvenation in the body. In Ayurveda, they call it the the Pitta cycle. And so what we're looking at at that time is lower levels of cortisol, higher levels of melatonin, and a deeper parasympathetic response. That's when true autophagy is going on, meaning that if you don't have any food in your stomach, okay, now you get to kill those cancer cells naturally. 
Now you get to clean up all those toxins. Your liver is working on overtime. That's why when you wake up in the morning, you need liquid and lots of it. A lot of people, you know, they're doing coffee, which is dehydrating them. Maybe they're, they're just not even drink. I know it's people who drink diet soda in the morning. It's, it's unbelievable. But what your body really needs, and again, so this is no fault of anyone else's. If you haven't been told this before, you haven't learned it, I understand it. Because remember, like, we're only responsible after we actually know the truth. And it took me a long time to get here. So really waking up in the morning and doing as much liquid before lunch as possible is what every natural based medicine talks about because you need to, you just spend eight hours to 10 hours overnight, just moving toxins out of your cells. And you don't really think of it that way, but now you need to get it out of the body. You either need to sweat it out, drink a lot of fluid, um, you know, use the bathroom, get it out of your body. So that's one. And the second one is very simple about I would say two thirds to 80% of your diet should be produce. And if it's not, you're not on the human diet. That's basically it. And produce being vegetables with some uh, mainly low glycemic fruits, such as berries. If your diet is not approximately 60 to 80% uh, vegetables, you are on a fad diet right now. There's no blue zones. There's no longevity based studies on anything except a high antioxidant, high produce based diet. Yeah. And this is, I mean, this is stuff that we have research to back up. Of course, anecdotally, you've experienced this with, with hundreds of thousands of clients, but, and it makes sense too, as well. Um, but we also have research to support, you know, this data. Am I, am I right? Absolutely. And I, I want to say that everything I do in my practice, uh, is always backed up by research and science, meaning that I will, uh, there, there's very few exceptions, meaning like in the fitness field. So I've been in the fitness field for two decades now. We were doing things like the paleo diet. We were doing things like metabolic resistance training 15 plus years ago when there, it just wasn't called that because you know what research does sometimes take some time to catch up. And I'm sure, you know, you've been doing the same exact thing. And you just learn from your colleagues, okay, here's what's working. And then eventually it gets tested and, oh, lo and behold, it works. So, you know, we, we do things that we know works uh, based on actual physiology. And then it works with clients and it's safe and we know it works. So we continue to use it. But yes, everything is, is backed up by science. And, and I'm actually a big data person. And that's why I got so deep into this functional medicine lab testing. But no, I totally agree. I mean, all of this is science-based. Yeah, that's great. So... So with the resurgence, and I'm going to say resurgence because the keto diet is not something, you know, ketogenic dieting is not something that's new. Um, it's been around for a long time, but as you said, you know, there's certain fads that come and go in the fitness industry and nutrition industry. Um, what, what's your interpretation of the ketogenic diet? Because we've talked about it a couple of times with a couple of experts on the show, and I'd love people to hear from your clinical perspective and, and kind of what the research says as well about you know, high intakes of saturated fat and whatnot. So there is research behind the keto-based diet, and this is why it really started to take off is it was known as the um, how to kill cancerous tumors diet. So essentially, by starving cancerous tumors, which feed off of what's called lactic uh, fermentation, and not giving it any sugar, it simply didn't have any fuel. So they were able to shrink tumors that way. So if you wanted to make the argument that I have cancer, I have tumors, and I want to go on a keto-based diet because of that, I would say, okay, you know, you, you're on to something here because you can back that up by research. But for your average person 
who's just looking to go on a keto-based diet because it's biohacking, because their, their brain's going to be clear, all these things. I'm sorry, but that's not what a keto diet is, is really for. Keto, keto diet is, the truth is, it's a starvation-based diet. When our ancestors started producing ketones, it was because they ran out of fuel. They ran out of food. They did not have any of that produce around. They did not have any of the starchy tubers. They didn't have any of the fruit. Remember, you know, during those times, our body needed another mechanism to produce fuel. So our liver and our body was able to produce these things as an alternative fuel source. But at the same time, it can also increase the same things of fight and flight. So when, from a clinical perspective, I see people run lab tests their blood sugar goes high on a keto diet. That shouldn't happen. How does that happen? It's because their cortisol levels are spiking. Their body's still trying to produce or break down cellular tissue for glucose because they don't understand that on a keto-based diet, you can't train on interval training. You can't train with uh, the anaerobic threshold because you are not going to be able to use ketones fast enough to keep up. The keto, so on a fast glycolysis-based process or a glycolytic-based um, standpoint from the body, you need sugar. And that's not a bad thing. Our body should operate off both sugar and body fat. So when people write in to me and say, you know, how do I become more fat adapted? I mean, I laugh a little bit and I don't you know, mean any harm by it, but I'm saying like this person has bought into the myth that the keto diet makes you more fat adapted. Whereas honestly, sitting on your couch you're burning the highest percentage of body fat. There's an issue with insulin and, and blood sugar getting into the cells if you have an issue with that. So just keep in mind, there's a big difference between short-term keto and long-term keto. I could get behind a little bit of short-term keto, not long-term keto. And from a clinical perspective, I see men do better on it than women. Women, it affects their thyroid a lot of the time. They start to go hypothyroidism. It starts to uh, lower progesterone, increase cortisol. Not a good formula for fertility and not a good formula for uh, dysmenorrhea as well. Yeah, I agree completely. And that's, that's exactly what I've experienced uh, with clients and talked to other practitioners about is it definitely can be something that can be valuable to be used short term. And it sounds like that's how you would use it possibly in your practice as, as maybe like a jump start type thing. It can be great for people to do, you know, a couple weeks as like a low carb boot camp, extremely low carb boot camp, high fat. But now what is it about? I mean, the fact of the matter though, is that certain percentage of people simply do not respond well to a high fat diet. I mean, isn't that the case as well? Without a doubt. So just a couple, you know, real world examples, one based on genetics is that 26% of the population, not only would it uh, be harmful, it would be literally lethal after a number of years being on a keto diet. And the reason is that the APOE uh, blood type, the APOE B blood type, if you have a four allele, so there's basically a two, a three, and a four, and you have uh, one from your mom, one from your dad. So if you're a double four, I mean, a high fat diet, I mean, it causes massive inflammation. It's been shown to lead to Alzheimer's, shown to lead to dementia, neurological-based issues. Uh, so that's not going to be helpful. And also cardiovascular-based disease. And even if you're a 3-4, you're still more susceptible to a higher-fat diet. Now, here's the other thing. Most people aren't really on a keto diet, and that's a good thing. They say they're doing keto, but they're not really keto. They're low-carb. So totally. that's, okay. that's a good thing. It takes days to get into ketosis. You know, it really does. I mean, I've been on, I've gone through ketosis myself. And so- um, you know, the, the bottom line is that a keto diet's about 75% of your diet from fat, about let's say 15% or so from protein and about 5% 
if my math's right, my math might not even be right on, yep. on protein. Um, so you also have to go low protein and most people aren't low protein. So the worst thing you can do is be on a high protein, high fat diet, uh, because then you throw yourself out of ketosis and you end up burning muscle tissue, uh, you become really catabolic. So, uh, I don't even remember at this point what your question was, but essentially it can, it can be quite harmful for uh, certain genetic body types. It can also feed, uh, preferentially bad bacteria in the gut. It can cause inflammation in the gut that high of fat of saturated fat. Remember, not monounsaturated. So I'm a bigger fan of olive oil and avocado than I am of the higher saturated fats. And that's because of the blood types. And then um, the other part is that a lot of women, again, don't respond well because of certain genes. Um, they call it the, the fatso gene. They call it a bunch of different genes, which, which we can get into if you'd like. But one of my colleagues, Dr. Godfrey, talks about it all the time. She gained 19 pounds in three weeks on a keto diet. That's mm -hmm. the opposite, right, of what you want to do. And she's a doctor. She's very knowledgeable. She knew exactly what she was doing and it backfired on her because she started to become quite estrogen dominant uh, as well as other things. And again, if you're going to hold, if you're going to be less progesterone, higher cortisol, higher estrogen, you're just going to start to retain water, the toxic water weight. Yeah. And a couple of things is, is one is we kind of get blinded by the sexiness, if you will, the marketing, the, the fad based trends going on with certain diets. And there's so much stuff about keto out there now. It's, it's no one's fault, as you said, that, that people can want to, you know, only want to partake in something that they think is going to serve them well. And, and to be fair, for a lot of people over the short term, it does serve them well. One though is because it gives them the opportunity to restrict their caloric intake to the degree that they're able to lose weight. It allows them to eliminate foods that otherwise would be highly inflammatory for them. And then, but the second part of that is it may not be good for people long-term and then especially high intensity athletes, um, people doing interval training, utilizing fast acting um, energy systems, absolutely. And, and then lastly, like you said, and I, this is funny because I made a post um, on social media the other day, but I can't tell you how many times I've met people or um, talked to friends that are quote unquote doing keto. And then I start to ask them about what their reg regimen looks like. And they're not in fact in ketosis or even following the guidelines to the degree that it would put them into ketosis. So they're really on some hybrid pseudo low carb except they're drinking on the weekends and this is honestly where most people tend to fall is it's a very regimented diet that actually can be difficult for, for people to subscribe to uh, certainly long term um, and i think that's important for people to acknowledge that um you know it it's sexy on paper but when it comes down to implementing into your lifestyle it, it's not that simple I agree. And, and I'm looking for, um, I, I use it. So I don't want people to think that I don't, you know, it doesn't have a place in my practice. Everything that works has a place in my practice. So for the first 21 days, uh, that people are looking to lose weight, you know, that, that are in our practice, not a thyroid based issue, but they're looking to lose weight uh, and the thyroid's checked out that we are going lower carb. So without a doubt, we do that for 21 days. We just let people know, listen, after a little while, you're going to start to uh, really pervert your leptin and ghrelin levels, and you're going to put your body into a lower metabolic state. So we're going to do this for 21 days. Then you're going to have a big refeeding meal, which contains carbohydrates. And then you're going to start to ease carbohydrates back in your diet. And you're going to find out exactly your carbo carbohydrate tolerance based on you. So I just call it transitioning off a low carb diet. 
And yeah, some people might actually get into ketosis that way, but it wasn't planned. It wasn't necessarily on purpose. We weren't going 75% fat. And the reason we can't do that is that I'm an advocate of two to three cups of fruits and vegetables uh, per meal. And so that's going to put you above 25 to 50 grams of carbs per day. And my biggest thing is that most people's bodies are starving for nutrition, not calories. So, you know, you'll heal your body. If you want to heal your body, you can't run labs, you can't do this, you can't buy supplements. Heal your body through as much vegetables as you can. And if you can't digest vegetables, cook them. That's okay. Or do green juices, not fruit juices, but green juices. And get that nutrition into your body. Because when that happens, your body says, okay, I got my macros, but really what I care about is my micros. I care about my vitamins. I care about my minerals. I care about the sulfur. I care about all these things my body isn't getting. And so what we're trying to do for our first 21 days is really rebalance people's bodies from an inflammatory uh, perspective, from a food sensitivity perspective, or eliminating the main food intolerances, such as you know dairy and gluten and soy and corn. So what we're, we're trying to do is set a foundational-based diet. But you know, here's, here's what I always ask people. If you're going to do the latest thing, great. But always ask yourself, why? What's my end goal? You just don't need to eat 75% of your diet as fat. And Mm -hmm. honestly, that's a little nauseating after a while to do that. (laughs) It is. There's only so much butter you can put in your coffee. Right. Um, no, that's, that's really good stuff. And I appreciate the individuality of it. That's what I constantly am talking to everyone who's listening about is like, look, we got to create some awareness. You got to understand like one, let's just get good nutrition in. Let's have good digestion. Make sure you're eating whole foods. And then assuming your, your goal is weight loss, um, or just getting healthier then you know, you have to have an, an idea of what amount of calories you're taking in. And it doesn't matter if you're eating high carb or if you're eating low carb or keto or paleo or Atkins, or it doesn't really matter at the end of the day, as long as you're managing your calories from a weight loss perspective, but everybody's body is different and it is going to thrive off of uh, different ratios of protein, carbs, and fats. And so you guys just have to figure out on your own what's going to be right for you. So Dr. Cabral, it sounds like your main, if you were to give one blanket, and I know you never do this, but let's just say you were to give one blanket nutrition statement, it sounds like it would be more in line with kind of the Mediterranean diet just because you said 80% produce. Does that sound somewhat fair? You're 100% correct. Absolutely. And everybody needs a foundation to start, meaning that you have to start somewhere. You can't always just do bio-individuality. But if you start with the Mediterranean diet, dairy-free Mediterranean diet, you will be, I mean, I can't even tell you how much you'll improve your health. I'll, there, so all I care about are the facts. Honestly, that's it. If you told me that the, the bacon and butter diet, which I like literally ridicule over and over, <laughs> Because it's so unbelievably unhealthy for you. Meaning, like, I have no problem with a little bit of grass-fed butter or ghee. No problem at all. Actually, in India, we use it as a form of medicine to get certain nutrients into your body. But bacon is, I mean, again, who doesn't love bacon? But here's the thing. Bacon is not a health food. And we're not going to promote it as a health food. It's one of the top 10 carcinogenic-based foods. It's not healthy for you. It's just the way it is. And I love bacon. I wish it was one of the health foods. But here's the thing. The Mediterranean diet trumps everything in terms of longevity, cardiovascular base race. Why? Because our top forms of death are literally cardiovascular based, cancer based, everything to do with inflammation. And a Mediterranean diet, because of the omega 3s, because of the fiber, uh, and because of the lower protein, not no protein, but again, look at the blue zones. These people don't have any stake in the game. That's why we say I have no stake in the game at all. Uh, I will go with anything that works. The longest lived people did not eat more than 10 to 15% of their macros from protein. 
And the reason was, they're finding out now, the more protein you eat, the more typical carcinogens from it, but also it increases IGF-1 levels. Great if you're a bodybuilder, but if you want to also not increase inflammation or potentially cancer, good to keep those IGF-1 levels a little lower. Yeah, that's good. So for everyone, regardless of whether you eat animal protein or not, you can't go wrong with whether you eat, you know, saturated fat or, or, um, or not, you can't go wrong with increasing your vegetable intake. And that's oftentimes what I'll talk to people about is look, first step, just, just increase your veggies and everything else will start to fall into place simply because you'll start to push out all the other foods that are potentially causing uh, more inflammation in your diet. Um, excellent, sir. Very good. Very good stuff. Very enlightening conversation. Dr. Cabral, where can people find out more about you? So my podcast is called The Cabral Concept. It's on iTunes. It's also at stephencabral.com forward slash podcast. And so, you know, there's, there's one thing I know that sometimes it seems like I am totally one way and not another, but the truth about my practice is that you'll hear on The Cabral Concept is I believe there is a time and a place for everything. I really believe that uh, what most health practitioners are teaching right now, none of them are wrong. It's just not always right in every instance. So it's kind of understanding your body, what works best for you. And that's what I try to teach in my podcast. It's a daily podcast. And then what I'd like to do is just set up a show notes page. So if we could do stephencabral.com forward slash Ben, then we can do uh, maybe a link to some of those labs and we can just show people information, meaning that I always, always tell people no need to purchase from us, but get the education, meaning like look at what this lab looks at. And then if you have a local functional medicine practitioner or naturopathic doctor say, Hey, I'd like to run the organic acids test, or I'd like to run the hair tissue mineral analysis. And I just really believe that knowledge is power that once you learn these things, you then get to ask the next question. Like that's the big thing is when I started going through this, I didn't even know the right questions to ask. So as you accumulate knowledge, as you start to run labs, you just get more knowledgeable yourself. And if you're a health practitioner, this is one of the best ways to help your clients is help yourself first. That's great, man. That's really helpful. So for everyone listening, head over to stephencabral.com slash Ben, and we will have uh, all of the links to all of the resources that we talked about. If you want to order any lab testing, I'd highly recommend it. Um, in order to assess your uh, you know, your metabolic toxicity, pathways, uh, gut function, all of those types of things in order for you to get healthier, for you to lose weight more effectively, for you to think clear, have more energy, sleep better, um, and be at the top of your game. Uh, with that said, Dr. Cabral, I just want to thank you so much for your time and energy and knowledge and value that you've, uh, put out there for our listeners. I really, really appreciate it. And, uh, and make sure you guys head over and check out the Cabral concept on iTunes. Dr. Cabral does, am I right? And you do a daily podcast. Is that right? It is a daily podcast. Yes. Yeah. So all kinds of good information on clinical Q and a lots of nutrition, lots of supplementation guarantee you guys would glean a lot of, um, of value from that. With that said, Dr. Cabral, thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it and really appreciate the work that you're doing in the industry. You're doing an amazing job. So keep it up. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. And we will talk soon. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Dr. Stephen Cabral. Make sure to check out the show notes over at bslnutrition.com slash episode 33. And make sure to subscribe and leave a review in iTunes so that we can help more people make smart nutrition simple. 
This episode was brought to you by BSL Nutrition and the Complete Essentials All-in-One Training Drink. If you've been looking for a comprehensive workout supplement that can help support great energy both in and around your workouts as well as reduce muscle soreness naturally without all the caffeine and artificial sweeteners, then head over to bslnutritionshop.com and type in podcast at checkout for 15% off your first purchase of either grape and or lemon lime.